Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Ladies and gentlemen, the RPA family would like to wish you and your loved ones a very happy and safe holiday season. Oh yeah, we love you. Enjoy the show. You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, Real Paranormal Activity is proud to present Terry's Mysterious Moments. Welcome to Season 2 of Terry's Mysterious Moments. Thank you for listening to the show. I hope you find something interesting. Or maybe something spooky. Or maybe something just... Mysterious. unexplained events, strange mysteries, and mysterious legends. Cool interesting stuff features everything odd, weird, bizarre, strange, or unusual. Have you ever heard of the Potomsky Crater in Russia? It's also known as the Fire Eagle Nest by locals. It's a peculiar rock formation in a remote part of southeastern Siberia. Approximately 220 miles from the district center of Bodaibo, 
It's a large mound made of shattered limestone blocks and it rises from the dense taiga. Its base diameter is about 520 feet. It's got a height of about 130 feet. The cone's crown is ring-shaped and in its center there's a smaller mound with a height of about 12 meters. If you look at it from up top, it, it looks like you may be looking down on an eye. For instance, like a, a sculptured eye. The volume of the crater is estimated at 230,000 to 250,000 cubic meters, which is a lot more in feet. And it may have a weight of about a million tons. The Potomsky Crater was discovered in 1949 by Russian geologist Vadim Kolpakov. They have no idea where it came from and it's been the subject of intense scientific interest and many hypotheses including meteorite formation volcanic formation or gaseous eruption from underneath the earth but to date no definite proof has been given it's estimated to be only between 300 and 350 years old until recently some scientists have believed that the crater represents a large footprint of an ultra dense meteorite maybe something that hit and went underground Another hypothesis is that it's a fragment of the Tunguska meteorite. You remember in 1908, uh, you weren't around then, neither was I. If you were, we need to talk. Uh, in 1908, I believe it was, a large meteorite or something exploded over the Tunguska area and flattened miles and miles of forest and just destroyed the area. There are some that believe that the crater is a result of a breakthrough of a deep pocket of natural gas. Kind of like a big bubble came up and, and pushed the rocks up above it. Several scientific expeditions have been sent to the crater, but the nature of its origins remain a mystery. Astronomers and geophysicists from the Irkutsk State Technical University, geochemists, from the Institute of Geosphere Dynamics, RAS Moscow, however, believe that the crater may still have a meteoric origin. In 2010, St. Petersburg Mining Institute held a scientific conference on the Potom Crater 2010. Viktor Sergeyevich Antipin, head of a department at the St. Petersburg Institute of Geochemistry of the Russian Academy of Science, stated that since the 2006 expedition by the Institute of Geochemistry, RAS, that's the Russian Academy of Sciences, came to the conclusion that the Potomsky Crater probably originates from geological processes. An important fact is that no serious argument or evidence of a meteorite crater nature referred to by scientists have been given. There was not any new evidence to support the meteorite hypothesis. Antipin 
further noted that at the conference, for the first time, all the experts rejected the meteoric hypothesis. Now it has only historical interest, he added. According to studies of Siberian scientists, the crater formed only 300 to 350 years ago. That's a relatively babe in the woods, literally. The zoning of the crater, caused by geological processes and intensive introduction of deep gas flows of matter, which led to the transformation of silicate rocks within the crater. An important confirmation of these ideas were the result of geophysics from St. Petersburg State University of Mining and Ekaterinburg Institute of Geophysics performing gravimetric and geoelectrical investigations, they also came to the firm conviction that the Patam crater has an origin of an endogenetic nature, said Antipin. According to geophysicists at St. Petersburg and Ekaterinburg, meteorite impact craters have a very different shape, and Patam crater is not one of them, he added. Scientists thought the crater was only between 100 and 500 years old originally and could be the result of the Tunguska meteorite, which fell in the area in 1908, but whose crater was never discovered. So we, they think it's an airburst on, on that one. In 1949, geologist Vadim Kolpakov set off on an expedition to Siberia, not realizing that he was about to discover one of the strangest unsolved mysteries in the world, the Potomsky Crater. As Kolpakov traveled deep into almost uncharted territory, the local Yakut people warned him not to go on, explaining that there was an evil place deep in the woods that even the animals avoided. They called it the Fire Eagle Nest and claimed that people would start to feel unwell near it and some would simply disappear without a trace. A man of science, Kolpakov, was not put off by these stories, but even he was at a loss to explain what he found deep in the Siberian forests. A giant crater, the size of a 25-story building, reared up out of the trees. Up close, it resembled a volcano mouth. But Kolpakov knew that there had been no volcanoes in the area for at least a few million years. This crater looked relatively newly formed. Kolpakov estimated it as around 250 years old then, a figure supported by later studies of nearby tree growth. Interestingly, the trees also seem to have undergone a period of accelerated growth similar to that scene in the forest around Chernobyl after the accident. Since the discovery of the crater, there have been many theories as to what or who could have created it. Some people, including Kolpakov, have speculated that it might have been formed by a meteorite, although the crater does not resemble any other known meteorite site. Others are convinced that it was indeed a volcano. Many even think that there's a UFO hidden underneath the crater. In 2005, an expedition was launched in the hopes of finding some answers, but then tragedy struck. The leader of the expedition died of a heart attack just a few kilometers away from the site. The locals were convinced it was the evil crater 
that led to his death. Interesting stuff about the Potomsky Crater is that the cone is 80 meters tall from the lowest point of its base and measures 150 meters wide. It's thought to be just 250 years old, although estimates vary widely. Scientists previously suggested it was a slag heap, but now think there were not enough people living in the area to create it. Some people believe it was made by aliens. Scientists threw out the idea that the mound was made as a result of a uranium ore explosion as the site has low background radiation. They have floated the idea that it could have been made by a volcano, but none have been found nearby. An impact made by a meteorite is the favorite theory, but no evidence of fragments have been found. It is thought there is something with a high iron content over 100 meters below the crater, which could be a meteorite. In Puerto Rico, we call ourselves Boricua. We are proud, passionate, and full of life. On our island, adventure finds you. Strangers aren't strangers for long. The size of the audience doesn't change the beauty of the music. And we celebrate every last ray of sun. Live Boricua. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. The crater is alive and changes shapes by rising and falling constantly. Trees nearby the site are reported to grow abnormally fast. That would be an interesting sight to see. It's a, it's a cool looking mound. I'll try to get a picture of it either on the, the program or the TMM site. The Tallas of Menorca. Located in the Mediterranean Sea are a set of Spanish islands known as the Balearic Islands. One of those islands, Menorca, is home to an impressive collection of megalithic stone monuments called the Taulas. T-A-U-L-A-S. The origin and purpose of the Taulas is unknown, although they are the works of prehistoric humans. There have been several theories surrounding the mystery of the Talas, generally focused on religious or astronomical purposes. Consider Stonehenge. Some believe they are a religious symbol. Others believe the Talas serve as a temple of healing. Finally, there is a theory that the Talas were aligned with the movements of the moon. Menorca is a small Spanish island with a population of approximately 94,000 people. It reaches to 1,175 feet above sea level at its highest point and 37 miles across at its widest. During prehistoric times, Menorca saw a variety of cultures and peoples including Jews, the Vandals, the Byzantine Empire, the Crown of Aragon, Islam, Britain and Spain. 
What Menorca is most well known for are the thirteen talas. These stone megaliths are said to resemble Stonehenge, and many have wondered about the mysterious origins of the talas. The word tala means table in Catalan, which is one of the primary languages of Menorca. The talas are T-shaped with a large flat horizontal stone perched upon a tall vertical stone and surrounded by a U-shaped wall. The tallest talas reach 12 feet high and for many years it was believed that the talas were topped with a roof. However, researchers have said that they did not include a roof. The evidence available suggests that a sacrificial fire pit was located at the front of the tala with which a roof would be impractical. The talas are a sight to marvel considering they were structed well before the, the invention of heavy machinery or any other mechanisms to assist with heavy lifting. It is fascinating to imagine how our ancestors were able to lift these giant stones into place creating well-balanced structures that would withstand the test of time. It's believed that the Talas were constructed sometime between 1000 and 3000 BC by the Taliotic culture. Many have tried to determine why the Talas were constructed and what meaning they held. Clearly a structure that would take such effort to create would fulfill some important purpose for those who constructed it. There are several theories as to the purpose of the Talas, each offering a potential glimpse into the culture and lifestyle of the Taliotic people. One theory is that the Talas served as a temple for the god of the Taliotic people. There are no indicators of which religion they practiced or what they called their god but a discovery during excavations has led one researcher to theorize that they may have worshipped a bull god. Researchers were excavating a site known as Toralba de Salort when they came across a bronze bull figurine, which may have sat on a shelf within the Toralba de Salort as an item of worship. The bull was found among other facts that are said to resemble items of worship that would be found within a church today. The bull figure is of special significance because the first people to ever inhabit Menorca came from Crete and the bull played a prominent role in their culture. Spanish archaeologist J. Mascaro Pasarias was the first to suggest the idea of a bull god with the slabs representing the face and horns of the bull. This theory has not really been widely accepted though. Another theory is that the Talas are a place of healing. Under this theory the Talas were oriented to the Centaurus constellation. The healing theory has been bolstered by items that were discovered during an excavation of the Talas. An inscription reading I am Imhotep, the god of medicine, and a bronze horse hoof, which represents the Greek god of medicine, Asclepius. Over the years, the Centaurus constellation became harder and harder to see. It was barely visible at all by 1000 BC. This may explain the eventual abandonment of the Talas, as they would have become irrelevant 
when the Centaurus constellation was no longer visible to the Taleotic people. The final theory is known as the Fen, F-E-N-N, Moon Theory, named after a researcher named Waldemar Fen. Fen studied the Talas extensively, paying particular attention to their orientation. He realized that the people who built the Talas had an interest in astronomy when he found a cave drawing showing several constellations. By studying the physical location and orientation of the Talas, Finn began to realize that they did not point to any fixed location in the sky. This led him to consider that they may have been intended to point to a moving object in the sky, the moon. He began to watch the moon from the Talas and discovered that in December, when looking towards the entrance of the Tala, the moon was located at the top left. Over the course of nine years, the December moon locations would form a semicircle that reached from the top left corner to the top right corner. Over the next nine years, the moon would follow the same pattern in reverse, ending at its starting point after a total of 18 years. He noted 12 tall columns and a single shorter column, which he explained represents the 12 or 13 full moons each year. The only flaw in Finn's theory is that out of 13 talas, only 12 follow the moon pattern. The 13th does not. It is likely that without this flaw, Finn's theory would be more widely accepted. However, it remains the most likely explanation for the Talas, an ancient calendar which tracked the moon. As of today, it is still not certain what purpose the Talas served. Researchers have offered several theories based on the physical qualities of the Talas. It is likely that they did serve some religious or astrological purpose, or perhaps both. With further studies, we may somehow know the exact purpose of the Talas, but for now we can marvel at their creation and the ancient culture they represent. Have you ever heard of a Melungeon? M-E-L-U-N-G-E-O-N-S. Melungeons. That's plural. In 1947, a little girl named Joanna Williams Overbay had a school teacher for a mother and the mother sent her down to the mailbox at recess. She started flipping through that week's edition of the Saturday Evening Post and saw pictures of her neighbors that she knew in Hancock County, Tennessee. The little girl read a word describing them all that she had never heard before. Melungeon. She was showing the pictures to the other children until her mother snatched the magazine away. Overbay said, She didn't want me to know about the Melungeons. In my mother's family, they said we were Portuguese. That's what they called Portuguese. Melungeons, the mysterious dark-skinned mountaineers of eastern Tennessee and southwest Virginia and into Kentucky, has sparked myths and theories over the past century. They were whispered to be descendants of shipwrecked Portuguese sailors or gypsies, now known as Roma. Some have speculated on connections with the 
Lumbee Indians in Robeson County are the lost colonists of the Outer Banks. The name likely comes from the French word melange, a slur most often used by suspicious white neighbors when African Americans and anyone with dark skin faced prejudice and segregation. What's certain is that Melungeon students like Overbay came to Asheville for boarding school and to Warren Wilson College, which welcomed poorer Appalachian students of all backgrounds. But who are the Melungeon? In Tennessee, there are a people of more or less unknown origin. We assume there is some African ancestry, so the Melungeons largely kept to themselves, said Wayne Winkler, a professor at East Tennessee State University and author of the 2004 book, Walking Toward the Sunset, The Melungeons of Appalachia. At age 12, Winkler learned his father's family hailed from Hancock County and had Melungeon roots, fueling his lifelong fascination and academic career with the community. He wanted desperately to see the outdoor drama Walking Towards Sunset, a story about the Melungeons, staged in remote Hancock County in the 1960s. The script was written by Kermit Hunter, best known for Unto These Hills, which opened in 1950 in Cherokee. Hunter also wrote the Daniel Boone drama Horn in the West, still staged each summer in Boone. Kathy Lydae, too, was fascinated by the play and legends about Melungeons. Growing up in Knoxville, Tennessee, she remembers reading newspaper accounts of a different kind of mountaineer in the East Tennessee mountains. Now a professor at Elon University, Lydae has researched Melungeons, appearing in literature in periodicals over the past century. Lydae has been a regular participant at the annual conference of the Melungeon Heritage Association. Melungeons are clearly not like the mountaineers I knew. They look different. They have darker skin, darker hair, and blue eyes. In older photos, their physical appearance looks almost Mediterranean or Middle Eastern, Lyde said. A Spanish influence is likely, given that the southwest and the mountains were explored and settled. Hernando de Soto trooped through the region in 1540 in the first contact with whites from many Native American tribes. In 1567, Captain Juan Pardo brought an army of 125 men to Jawara, an Indian town in Burke County and built a fort, the oldest European garrison in the interior of North America. We know there were Spanish explorers as far west as modern-day Morganton, Lyde said. They likely brought African slaves with them. They probably intermarried, and when the Spanish retreated, they left behind remnants. People migrated looking for better land. One of my theories is that perhaps we followed Daniel Boone's route through the Cumberland Gap. We went straight up what's now I-26 to Vardy, Overbay said. Researchers have theorized that Melungeons may have been a mixture of European, African, and Native American. A DNA study in the Journal of Genetic Genealogy in 2012 
found that the families historically called Melungeons are the offspring of sub-Saharan Africa men and white women of northern or central European origin. Overbay said DNA testing in her family shows about 98% European and 2% African genetic background while other Melungeon families show other mixtures. In the segregated South, any trace of black blood mattered legally. Virginia passed the Racial Integrity Act in 1924, the so-called one-drop rule that would strip anyone of mixed race from white legal privileges. The quest to better themselves led many Melungeon students to the Asheville area. My mother, Alice Horton, her siblings, and several of her cousins from Vardy, Tennessee, attended the Pease Home School in the 1910s. They were taken by wagon to Ben Hur, Virginia, where they caught the train to Asheville, Overbay said. Pease Home School was a Presbyterian educational mission, part of what was called the Asheville Normal School on McDowell Street, which later combined with the Asheville Farm School to form Warren Wilson College. Other Vardy students attended the Dorland Institute in Hot Springs, also later to fold into Warren Wilson. In 1959, Overbay took the bus from Knoxville to Warren Wilson, started as a high school and then a junior college. There she had an African-American roommate, which she didn't think twice about. Warren Wilson itself had been early to integrate before most southern colleges. Alma Shipley of Swannanoa was the first black student to attend the school in 1952, two years before landmark Brown v. Board of Education decision. The Sunderland residents voted 54 to 1 to welcome the young Swannanoa men into their dorm. Warren Wilson had a real concern to do the right thing, said Rodney Lytle, the college's alumni director. Alma helped break down the bars of hate when it was almost illegal for races to mix in schools and in public. Overbay's Melungeon heritage didn't much matter in 1959 on the diverse campus where she worked on the student newspaper. I dreamed of becoming Brenda Starr, she laughed. I, going on to earn her master's from University of Tennessee, Overbay made her career teaching English for 46 years. But Overbay did encounter discrimination for the first time in Asheville. She remembers her friend being asked to leave a lunch counter at a drugstore on Pack Square. In a more diverse United States with celebrities like Tiger Woods or movie star Dwayne Johnson, Fewer people find stigma in having mixed-race heritage. Whether the Melungeons will continue as an identity into the future remains to be seen today, Lydie and Winkler said. The reality is that the Melungeons through history were often shunned and pushed off to the edges of the economy. Hancock County is still the poorest county in Tennessee, and I hear there's still discrimination. People still whisper, Lyde said, because they have different colored skin. From the very beginning, they were ostracized. It wouldn't matter if they were green, purple, or red. They just weren't white. Well, that's the end of the stories for this week. I have more next week. 
please stay tuned. Thank you for being here with me this week. I appreciate your company. I appreciate you listening. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. Remember, Mondays, we have Aaron Hunter with Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast, usually, which is listeners' stories. Sometimes it's interviews. On Tuesday, you have Aaron Frail with Aaron's Horror Show. On Wednesdays, it's me, Terry's Mysterious Moments. And on the first Saturday of every month, and as opportunity allows, the new show is called Buried Secrets Paranormal. It's a video show, for the most part. They will release their videos on the first Saturday of every month, and they may have some other shorter episodes in there as well. Remember, you can go to your app store on Apple or Android, download the RPA app, install it into your computer, your phone, your tablet, and you can listen to our shows without having to chase them down. But remember, we are going to show up on Pandora. That's the show for this week, and I want to thank you again. I want you to have a good week. Talk to you later. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.